We are, this is the third lesson of the quarter. It's entitled, The Savior of the World, covering John chapters 4 and 5. So in chapter 1, 1 through 18, we talked about the heavenly genealogy of Christ, that he is God put it, who put on human flesh. And now we're in a very long section from chapter 1, verse 19 through chapter 19. No, I'm sorry. Chapter 1, verse 19 to chapter 12, verse 50, which is his public ministry. And that includes seven signs, seven I am statements, and seven discourses to convince people that he is indeed the Messiah. So <clears throat> we're going to look at the first section, section A, Jesus provides living water. Can I get somebody to read verses 1 through 14? So verses 1 and 2 tells us Jesus was becoming more popular than John. Why do you think that was? Yeah, exactly. That's what I was thinking. John, in 4, verse 45, it says, When he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things that he did in Jerusalem at the feast. For they themselves also went to the feast. John mentions that elsewhere, that Jesus did a lot more stuff than is recorded for us biblically. So he was very prolific in miracle working. <clears throat> so I think that's probably why he was becoming more popular. <clears throat> and the Pharisees took notice, and then Jesus left. And he went back into Galilee. Remember, he was down in uh, Judea. And we'd just gone through the first cleansing of the temple last week. <clears throat> and that's where he spoke to Nicodemus. So now he went back north where his home was. And um, so between Jerusalem and Galilee, there was Samaria. And most Jews would go around Samaria. They would go to the east, maybe on the east side of the Jordan River to avoid Samaria. Um, <clears throat> so why did Jews not want to go through Samaria? They didn't want to run into Samaritans because there was racial animosity um, like we have a history of, a, of in our country that had gone on for 700 years. Since the Assyrians took the Jews, the northern tribes, <clears throat> in 722 BC. <clears throat> so, um, and the uh, Samaritans became syncretistic, meaning they worshiped the God of Israel, but they also worshiped pagan gods together. <clears throat> so they were heretics, you know, really. So the Jews didn't like them for that reason. They didn't like them because they were half-breeds. So there was both racial and religious animosity, so they avoided it. 
But Jesus went right through. And he came to Jacob's well. And it says he was tired, so we know Jesus was God, but also fully man. And we see his experience as a man here. He was tired. Jacob's well is mentioned um, in Genesis 48:22, and also in Joshua 24:32. There's kind of a conflict there. In the Genesis passage, Jacob says that he took that land by sword and bow. Um, in the Joshua passage, it says he bought the land. So I'm not sure it's the same land that uh, <clears throat> that we're talking about. But it was Jacob's land. He dug a well. It was a very deep well. I mentioned in the quarterly it was 135 feet deep. And um, the Samaritan was there around noon, the Samaritan woman, which is in the heat of the day, she was alone. And we'll find out later why that was. So Jesus speaks to a woman, and she's a Samaritan. Both of these things the Jews normally didn't do, the male Jews. How about today in the church age? Are we to shun people as they did here? Right. No, we're not. Yeah, we, we want to witness to people. Yeah. So James 2, verse 1 says, My brethren, speaking to believers, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. And then he talks about economic favoritism, really, not racial favoritism. He says, For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring, and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one who's wearing the fine clothes, and say, you sit here in a good place, and you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit by my footstool, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? So uh, James, speaking directly to the church, says, do not play favorites. And I think that can be, you know, expanded not just in economic terms, but in racial terms, in uh, gender terms, in any kind of terms. Don't play favorites, and God does not play favorites. And Jesus did not play favorites either. He came and he spoke to this woman who was a Samaritan. And then verse 9, we see another... There's another tip-off that this gospel is written to Gentiles because Paul, or not Paul, the Apostle John is explaining the relationship between Jews and Samaritans, which a Jew would understand already. So <clears throat> we talked earlier that the target audience of this book was unbelieving Gentiles, and that... That just is another reason why that is. John is explaining the Jewish things to the Gentile audience. Then verse 10. 
Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. What is Jesus speaking of here? Do you think that confused her when he said that? Yeah, she took him literally, right? So we can see here, and, you know, we interpret the Bible in a literal grammatical, historical, contextual fashion. And so, and there are other believers who say that we are too literal. But you can recognize that he's speaking with a metaphor here. And we would recognize that. Um, <clears throat> she took him literally and said, okay, this must be magic water <laughs> that you're talking about. Um, but he goes on to explain it vaguely later um, in John fourteen sixteen. He's very clear about what he's talking about. And um, he says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. That's what he was talking about, uh, because it, it's living water. It is the third person of the Trinity, and it comes to indwell the believer forever. And so he's living, and he never gives out. So in this water is very desirable. Verse 14, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. The water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. So it's desirable stuff. Okay, so our next section is uh, B, believers worship in spirit and truth. And uh, that's John four fifteen through 26. I'll go ahead and read that one. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw. He said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. So you see what he's doing. He's pointing out her problem. Verse 17, The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have correctly said I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you were a prophet. Let's change the subject. <laughs> right? That's what she's saying. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. So Jesus allows her to change the subject. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. 
When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Yeah, we already mentioned that uh, in verse 15, she did not understand when he said living water. And um, <clears throat> so Jesus began to expose what her problem was. And in general, people don't like that. <laughs> you know? This is a guy, a stranger, who'd come up to her, and she, she tells the truth very quickly. She says, I have no husband. Very terse, very brief. She's living with a man outside of wedlock at the, at the moment. And, um, and she wanted it to be done with. And then Jesus explains her past to her. So <laughs> it's just another demonstration of Jesus' omniscience. He, you know, you can't hide things from him. And... Uh, so he exposed what kept her from God, and that was sin. And that is how we are. That is our problem. So we, I, I heard this saying, which is, I think is, it's true. We are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners at birth. That is our nature. We are born with a propensity to sin. And that is because we are descended from Adam. Um, <clears throat> and we, there, we can't do anything about it. That's how we are. Jeremiah 17.9, The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? So... <clears throat> You know, that's the problem we have today between the uh, uh, the Christians and the secularists. The secularists believe that man is inherently good. And if you uh, get the right environment, socialism, then everything will be wonderful because man is inherently good. They do not understand this doctrine of depravity. And so that is why socialism will every time fail. So, um, <clears throat> so verse 19 The woman said, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Now that that reminds me of Adam and Eve. After they had sinned, what did they do? They hid. Yeah, they hid. That reminds that's what she was trying to do by chain, turning the conversation away from her sin was exposed, you know. She's like a bug in the light. She's running away. Says, let's talk about something else real quick here. So, <clears throat> no one wants to see their sin. And basically, for the believer, we do sin, and that breaks our fellowship with God. And the remedy is one word. It is to confess. That's 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, 
God is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So <clears throat> when we grieve the Spirit through sin, then the thing to do as a believer is to confess and we will be restored to fellowship. But then Jesus allowed her to change the subject because she was talking about worship. And it looks like Jesus wanted to talk about that also. And he said something very interesting. He said, salvation is from the Jews. How do you think, how do you think that is? You know, the Gentile nations were formed at the Tower of Babel, which was a great sin. It was a rebellion against God. And so God formed another nation from Abram, who was also an idolater, by the way, before he started. But he was, uh, he trusted God, and God started another nation to bring the Redeemer into the world. So salvation is by the Jews that way. The Redeemer, the Savior of the world, is Jewish. <clears throat> and also, the scriptures came through the Jews. Romans 3, 2 says, well, starting at 3, 1, Then what advantage has the Jew, or what is the benefit of circumcision? Great in every respect. First of all, that they were entrusted with the oracles of God. <clears throat> The whole Bible is Jewish. You know, there was some debate on whether Luke was Jewish. Uh, but I've seen more than one articles which has convinced me that he, he was Jewish. He was not Gentile. Uh, Luke. <clears throat> and so the entire Bible, the entire prophetic word, everything is from the Jews. So um, the salvation is from the Jews. And... You know, that's what is the great tragedy that they rejected their Messiah at this time when he came. So it's a tragedy for them. It's a blessing for us Gentiles. So, <clears throat> and God had planned it that way. So verses 23 and 24, the Father seeks people who will worship him in spirit and truth. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. What what does that mean, to worship in spirit and truth? Huh? Yeah, spiritual, when people said spiritual, you know, a while ago, it took me a long time to figure out what, what, what is that? You know, it's so amorphous. It's so, I'm a kind of a concrete person. Um, but, uh, <coughs> yeah, I think that... Um, you know, an unbeliever is unable to worship God. They might think they are. But um, Jesus said, not you should be born again, but you must. You must be born again in order to worship God. And so I, I do think that uh, it's talking about the Holy Spirit. You know, the Holy Spirit guides us into what we should do. I mean, that's how we're to live, is to follow the Holy Spirit. 
1 Corinthians 12, 3 says, Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord and mean it except by the Holy Spirit. So, <clears throat> and then in John seventeen seventeen, Jesus talks about the truth. Well, he talks about the truth other places. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. So Jesus is the truth. So you need to worship in relationship to Jesus to worship God correctly. But John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So the word of God, we worship according to it, and we will be worshiping in the truth. We worship in faith in Christ, and we'll, we will be worshiping in the truth and in the spirit. And that is how, and that's something that the Father wants. We can give something to God that he does not have, and that's people who love him of their own accord because they have chosen to do it and not because he's forced them. And, uh, and that's how we glorify him. So, <clears throat> and then, lastly, in this passage, Jesus declares himself to be the Messiah. Or some people say that in the Gospels, Jesus never says he's the Messiah. They, they haven't read that verse. He says very clearly, he is the Messiah who is the God-man. Okay, we're to the harvest is ready, section C, uh, verses 27 through 38. This is a very famous passage, right, about evangelism. So verse 27, going back to verse 27, his disciples, Jesus had separated from his disciples when he encountered this woman, and they were looking for food someplace and they were amazed that he had been speaking to a woman <laughs> and the quarterly has some sayings some Jewish sayings that are they're kind of hilarious really on the rabbinic view of women so one of them he that talks much with womankind brings evil upon himself and neglects the study of the law and at the last will inherit Gehenna, hell. Yeah, that's very uh, woman-friendly, isn't it? Another one says, if any man gives his daughter a knowledge of the law, it is as though he taught her lechery. So that guy was not reading the law which said to teach your children all the time. And the last one, blessed art thou, O Lord, who has not made me a woman. So, <clears throat> you know, if you, that, that's why the word of God is so important. We, you know, um, and uh, Eric is going to preach about the inerrancy of it here. But if they'd paid attention to their own Bible, they wouldn't have said things like that. 
um, which is embarrassing for a man like me to read <laughs> almost because <laughs> they're so wrong. Um, <clears throat> you know, and our culture has gone too far the other way with uh, feminism. You know, the Bible does teach in the family the headship of the husband and in the church uh, male elders and things like that. And um, so men and women are different. They do have different roles, but they're of equal value and all are um, saved in exactly the same way and have the same inheritance in the Lord. So um, <clears throat> there needs to be, the, the Bible will give you balance on these things. So in verse 30, so the, the woman went back into the city, Sychar, and was, <clears throat> she was excited. She said, there's a, a man here who told me everything I ever did. So he was able to read my mind, and that made her very excited. And then she asked, is this the Christ? Even though he told her that he was the Christ. And so they went out of the city, the Samaritans, and were coming toward him. And this is the context in which Jesus said, look at the fields, they are ripe for harvest, because all these people are coming out of the city toward him, and they want to know if he's the Christ. That's their question. So, <clears throat> so in that immediate context, the fields were indeed ripe for harvest. Verse 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. So, um, you know, I was just reading in Ecclesiastes this morning. Ecclesiastes is a picture of life without God. And it's empty. You know, vanity, he's talking about vanity, everything's the same, you know, and that nothing's ever changes, the hydrologic cycle, the rain falls, it goes around all the time, you know, and everything's uh, vain, futile. Um, has anyone ever felt that way, other than me, that everything's futile? I mean, before I was following the Lord, I, it was, uh, I'm like thinking, you know, what is the point? What is the point? You know, I, I can see why people would commit suicide if they don't have the Lord because the, because uh, it's vanity you know if you're just living and uh, there's no point to it but Jesus says my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work when we get saved we understand well we might not immediately but if we read the Bible we will that our purpose is to glorify God. And that is an eternal purpose. And uh, it, it is not worthless. Life is not worthless. Everything we do that glorifies God will be remembered, it will be rewarded, and it will be eternal. And so, <clears throat> and uh, you know, and God does reward our faithfulness. So, do we accomplish God's will in the same way Jesus does? Because he's talking about he came to accomplish 
the will of the one who sent him, which was the Father. And he also, being God, the Son, is come to do the Father's will. How about us? See, you can, you can be a believer just by believing in Christ and die. That's what happened to the thief on the cross. He, he believed in Christ and he died. And he was saved and he went to heaven. Um, now, is he going to be rewarded the same as, say, for example, Eric Barger, our guest speaker, who spent 38 years of his life preaching, evangelizing, going different places? You know, no, he won't. So after we're saved, we have the opportunity for reward, for intimacy with God, and for the gaining of authority in the millennial kingdom. And the way you do it is in John 15, 4 and 5. Jesus speaking, he says, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So that our, our goal is to stay attached to the vine. We do not work out anything. The fruit is born because the Spirit lives in us. And if we submit to the Spirit, fruit will be born, it will be his fruit, and it will be rewarded. Our own fruit is worthless. So that is why I don't get discouraged when we have a tiny class. I used to. But I've learned this, that my only job is to follow the Lord. And, uh, you know, if it's his will that we have a tiny class, then so be it. You know, we'll, we'll do it, and he will remember this. Uh, this Sunday school class today. He will remember it and reward it. So, so what we're doing today uh, will be eternally rewarded. Does that make you feel good? Yeah, makes me feel good too. Okay. See, and I'm making myself start to cry, which is silly, but which I do stuff like that all the time. So, okay. Any, anything else about this evangelistic passage? So notice that Jesus had set the stage by talking to this woman. The woman goes in, they said, is this the Christ? And then a whole bunch of people come out. So I think that's what he's talking to us about. Be ready for people who are ready, you know. Be, you know, bring up the Lord all the time. He is the only way to be saved from your sins. You're going to hell without him, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But you don't have to do the work. The Spirit will do the work. And when people are um, activated, as it were, by the Spirit, then you tell them, believe in the Lord. Okay. Fourth section, the Samaritans believe for themselves. Verse 39, from that city... Many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all the things that I have done. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. 
Many more believed because of his word. And they were saying to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. Okay. So verse 39 This is why you should have your testimony prepared, you know, rehearsed in your mind. People may investigate because of your testimony. That's what they did with this woman. This woman came into town. She gave a testimony. I encountered him. He told me everything I ever did. And they wanted to investigate. And that happens with us when we give our testimony to people. It it can make people want to investigate. Um, Then verse 41 and 42, and this is true of every person, each individual must respond to the convicting work of the Spirit personally themselves. You do not become a Christian by being born into a Christian family. Um, it's not inherit, inherited like the sin nature is. It must be accepted individually. And the, that's one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit in the world today to unbelievers is to convict them of their sin and their sin being that they don't believe in Jesus. That is the only sin that sends you to hell. Um, Because what Jesus did was encompass every sin within himself and pay for it. So that for the individual, all you have to do is believe in him. And your sins are paid for. So um, then we already talked about verse 45 where Jesus did more miracles than are recorded in the Bible <clears throat> Hi, Vicky. Welcome aboard, sister. Yeah. So we're in just John chapter 5, and the, the quarterly doesn't cover John chapter 5, which is crazy because it has a lot of interesting stuff in it. So I'm just going to... What time is it? Yeah, we have time. So... um Well, if you look at John chapter 4 and verses 48 through 51. So Jesus, remember, had gone back. So he, he had left from Jerusalem. He'd gone north into Samaria. He spoke to the woman at the well, at Jacob's well, near Sychar in Samaria. He had a harvest. A bunch of people from Sychar believed, Samaritans. Then he went on to Galilee, which, remember, that was where he grew up. He grew up in Nazareth. And as an adult, he made his home in Capernaum, which is on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. And that is um, where he is when this is the second sign that John um, describes to convince you that Jesus is the Messiah here. And it's the healing of the official's son. 
So verses 48 through 51. So Jesus said to him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. So that was a bit of a put down, <laughs> really, you know. <clears throat> but the royal official, he had already asked him that his son was at the point of death. The official said, my son is at the point of death. Please help. And, then, and it's at that point that Jesus says this. So you think, is that compassionate? I don't know, you know, that's, it doesn't sound compassionate. But the official presses him. The royal official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. And uh, so Jesus said to him, go, your son lives. And it says the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and started off. <coughs> <clears throat> and then verse 53, well, verse 52, he inquired of his servants um, when his son began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So this was a infectious disease. He had a fever, <laughs> like COVID. <laughs> it was like COVID. And at the seventh hour, his fever left him, and that is the time that Jesus said, go. So, what does that show you? All of these diseases around us could be stopped in a second, if it was his will to do it. So it means that it is not his will to do it. Right? <clears throat> and um, so... But uh, Jesus has the power to heal sickness with a word in an instant if he desires to do so. And then verse 54, this is a second sign that Jesus performed when he had come out of Judea from Galilee. So the first sign was he changed a bunch of jars, six 30-gallon jars of water into very fine wine. The second one is he healed this uh, royal official's son in an instant from an infectious disease, which sounds like it was near fatal. <clears throat> then he goes to Jerusalem again. This is his second visit to Jerusalem. So he's going back and forth. <clears throat> and in Jerusalem... He'll do his third sign. So chapter 5, verses 5 and 6. And there was a man there who lying by a pool in Bethesda. And there was a, uh, a superstition, if you will. They had a, there was a story that <clears throat> this pool, if you saw the waters stirred up, in the pool, that meant that an angel had come down and was stirring the pool. And if you got into the waters when the pool was being stirred, you would be healed. That was their superstition. Okay. So, <clears throat> this guy had been ill for 38 years. 
and he's paralyzed. So this is a neurologic illness. Okay, the last one was an infectious disease. This is a neurologic illness causes, causing paralysis. He'd had it for 38 years. So Jesus says to him, he saw him lying there. He knew that he had already been a long time in that condition. He said to him, do you wish to get well? <laughs> it seems silly. And the sick man answered him. See, if any normal person was going around doing what Jesus was doing, he'd be nuts. You know, he'd be a loon. The, the, except Jesus has the power to do these things. So he is not a loon. He's God. <laughs> so um, the sick man says, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while, <coughs> while I am coming, another steps down before me. So he's complaining. He's bought totally into this legend. And he's complaining that others are not allowing him in. They're pushing ahead of him. Okay. So Jesus has a very uh, practical solution. He says, get up, pick up your pallet, and walk. Don't just get up and walk away. Don't leave that there in the litter. Pick it up and take it away, the pallet. So he does, like that. Again, Jesus heals a neurologic disease, which in general, as a physician, they are hard to treat. They, you can't make them better very easily. Nerves do not regenerate. So he gets up and he walks. And what's hilarious and sad is that not everyone was excited about this. Verse 10, so the Jews were saying to the man who was cured, it is the Sabbath and it's not permissible for you to carry your pallet. So he's healed from this disease he's had for 38 years. He's carrying his pallet like Jesus told, told him to. And the Pharisees, or it doesn't say the Pharisees, it says the Jews, say, don't do that, it's the Sabbath. Okay, that's legalism. Right? All right. <clears throat> so Jesus is the most polarizing man who ever lived. Donald Trump is nothing compared to Jesus. Jesus engenders strong emotions. Uh, you know, either you accept him or you reject. I'm doing it to myself again. <laughs> anyway, so then in verse 14, afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, Behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. So Jesus healed him, but he wanted to deal with his real problem, which was his sin. <coughs> so I, I, you know, he was saved, and then Jesus is now telling him how to walk in faith. Um, you know, <coughs> when... When we get saved, the Lord doesn't ask us to reform first. You know, if you're a prostitute, addicted to drugs, and something like that, you can be saved without reform. You know, 
Because before we're saved, we don't have the ability to reform. Because our heart is desperately wicked and without cure. When we're saved, we receive the Holy Spirit and a new nature, and then the Holy Spirit will work in us and will convict us of specific sins. You know? And our job is to say, okay. You know? When we get convicted, and that is kind of a progressive lifetime process, and we grow in the Lord as we submit to the Holy Spirit, who is indwelling. <clears throat> so, so that is the third sign. Jesus' third sign was the healing of a neurologic disease that had been ongoing for 38 years. And then there's a discourse here, pretty relatively long discourse. I'll just hit on some highlights. <laughs> the first thing he talked about was <coughs> his equality with God. So in verse 18, um, well, before that, he said, <coughs> the Father is working and I am working. The Jews didn't like that because that meant he was equating himself with God by calling God his father directly. And then verse 19, Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son of Man can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. And that is how we are to live also. We don't have to come up with things that the Lord wants, you know, that we do for the Lord. We submit to the Lord, and he will tell us what to do. We are the followers. We are not the leaders. All of our righteous works outside of the Spirit are filthy rags. The Lord ignores them. They're worthless. So, <clears throat> so Jesus is our example in this. And... Uh, then verse 22, for not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son. Jesus is the second person of the Trinity, and he is the judge, not the Father. In the eternal state, both the Father and Son's thrones merge. Okay, so what we're waiting for next is a rapture in history. I think it's close. And poof, you know, we'll have our resurrected bodies. All of our vision problems will go away. We won't have to take insulin anymore. <laughs> we'll be strong, you know. And our minds will be sharp. Instead of we forget, you know, if somebody tells you their name, five minutes later, who's that? You know, that happens to me all the time. <laughs> so that's what we're waiting for. And then there will be a thousand-year period, the millennial kingdom. It will be utopia but there will still be sin. And Jesus will rule with a rod of iron, and at the end of that, we go into the eternal state, and Jesus' throne in Jerusalem will merge with the Father's throne in heaven. There will be one throne with Father and Son together. And so, um, why did I tell you that? Oh, because Jesus is the judge, and he is the judge because he is the Son of Man. Okay? He is one of us. So it is right, and he has experienced life and its problems. So that is why he is our judge. 
and he is judge for the unbeliever and for the believer. And I guess we're, I guess we're done. Okay, so, <clears throat> gosh, I didn't get to the end of that, but we got close. All right, God bless you. <laughs>